Greetings, listeners in Interspace, and welcome to episode three of the Corona Chronicles. I'm Kate Pendry, and this podcast is a meander through the weird weeks of the Corona COVID-19 pandemic of 2020. Week three, the end of March and into April, spring was in the air. In Europe, clocks had gone forward and April Fool's Day had come and gone without drama. Rumour had it that all the newspapers and news channels had come together and agreed that it would be best not to deliver any kind of April Fool joke this year. The rumour itself becoming an unwitting April Fool's joke, as if any disparate group of professionals have ever agreed on anything. Nevertheless, There were no April Fool's jokes delivered by news organisations, or indeed anyone in the year of Corona. Why? Because trust was fragile. People were frightened, not in the mood to be messed with. The baseline, the essence of any prank, of course, being humiliation. A kind of violence. The joke being on the stumbling and humiliation of the joked upon. Pranksters are basically assholes. Perhaps more to the point, so much of the world had become weird anyway. Certainly since Donald Trump's election victory in 2016. Outlandish late-night television skit concepts were becoming our reality. Denial of the truth by the most powerful people on the planet. The whole concept of truth being up for grabs. Conspiracy and Chinese whispers. As if the village idiots of the world had started a meth lab and their paranoia had become global legislation. On top of that, the village idiots demanding that they not be called idiots anymore, but rather authentic truth-tellers. And then disease, pandemic, epidemic. You had to catch your breath, but you couldn't catch your breath, although all you had was time on your hands to catch your breath. Unless you were in Sweden, of course. Sweden continued its controversial nose-in-the-air, merry Swedish thumbing of the global norm, and business continued as usual. No real lockdown, just a few nods to isolation strategies with universities and kindergartens closing. Some citizens chose to self-isolate and that helped. So what was the outcome of their heaven's fall strategy? What made Sweden so special? Time would tell. An extraordinary increase in the sales of sex toys was reported in a number of German-speaking countries and in Scandinavia. This did not exclude the possibility of increase of sales of sex toys in the southern Catholic enclaves of Europe, but Italy, for example, had more pressing matters to deal with than the hilarious increase in dildo sales. From what analysts could gather, the sex toys were in the main dildos, although the stats were somewhat murky. There were rumblings that the global portal to the lust dimension, Pornhub, was going to get on board with the charity coming together and offer free premium services to everyone. 
Pornhub continued to wag its human rights flag, the idea that access to pornography is a human right, and anyone who disagrees is an uptight shrew. Meanwhile, incidences of domestic violence behind the locked and isolated doors in China, but also other countries, were beginning to surface. It was important, of course, not to connect the dots. Correlation does not imply causation, especially not when it comes to pornography and violence against women. Definitely not. The increase in reported violence against women had been forewarned by gender violence experts and desperate spokespersons in women's shelters. It happened in Wuhan. It was inevitable that it would happen elsewhere. It was human nature, after all. Governments weren't really taking any action, though. There were more pressing matters to deal with, apparently. And what action, prophylactic or otherwise, could be taken? Some men will start beating women and children in lockdowns. What are we supposed to do? Send in armed guards to every home in the country? In all countries? In the world? As always, the mantra was that it could be dealt with only after it happened, if indeed it was even reported. Meanwhile, the great dildo and fake vagina sale of 2020 continued unabated. The newspapers were happy to report this jolly news. In week three of the corona pandemic, Prince Charles got corona. Memes abounded containing images of his ex and deceased wife Diana laughing wildly with the caption, He's got what? underneath. A welcome comic relief, although uneasy lies the head that must protect the crown. The royal families are the symbolic families of Europe. That seems to be their function, anyhow. And Elizabeth of England is about a hundred years old. She's therefore in the vulnerable group, as indeed is her boy, Charles, well into his seventies. They are basically elderly senior citizens, albeit with the very best and most immediate health care available to them in an instant, should they become sick. It remained a non-negotiable truth that in Corona, all lives matter, but some lives matter more. Madonna was still singing into her hairbrush on Instagram, but now was being wildly panned by the internet. She did not address her Corona gaffe, but time would tell. Celebrity Corona self-indulgence and humble bragging would increase with the infection curve in the coming weeks. A viral video of the Chinese authorities spreading the virus, apparently, share this before it gets deleted, was the urgent instruction that attended the video, proved to be not just a hoax, but actually wildly available footage of the Chinese authorities disinfecting their cities. This rather obvious conspiracy theory functioned as all conspiracy theories do. It was a desperate attempt to prove that the pandemic wasn't true, 
or that it was true in some identifiable, linear way that could be dealt with by flicking to the attack stratagem chapter of Sun Tzu's Art of War. The enemy is this, and it is bad. We are not the enemy, therefore we are good. By identifying the enemy, we, the village idiot conspiracists, have immunised ourselves against harm by identifying our goodness and our woke intelligence. We are the animals of the tundra who can see the distant horizons, identify patterns in the chaos, and alert you, the sheep, to the coming of the wolves. These mighty conspiracy warriors, of course, could be anyone, from housewives in Neersorten in Norway to truck drivers in Dusseldorf in Germany or even a wiggy dementia patient in a big white house in the United States. Significantly, the Chinese themselves, the first to live with the dread reality of the disease, did not alert the world to this horrifying truth that their government was killing them. But they wouldn't, would they? It was China, after all. The Sino-Lysol zombie army conspiracy remained on the fringe, for the time being, and the general sentiment in week three of the global pandemic was that China might emerge as a global leader after their robust and swift handling of the corona outbreak. Sweden continued to buck the global trend with its experimental strategy, salad bars and parties, business as usual, while the rest of Europe waited for Sweden to implode with infection like a dying star. Why did Sweden think it was so special? Johan Carlson Head of Sweden's public health agency defended Sweden's approach by saying that the country cannot take draconian measures that have a limited impact on the epidemic but knock out the function of society. Sweden is instead seeking to slow the spread of infections and ensure that its health system does not become overwhelmed. In fact, the situation on the streets of Stockholm had changed dramatically in the previous two weeks despite the absence of legal restrictions, with far fewer people going outside, so it was not quite business as usual. But more and more experts, both in Sweden and certainly abroad, felt that this was very bad stewardship. It had not allowed for an open debate. This strategy had just been decided. This, of course, was very Scandinavian of them, debating while plague rages. The viral app House Party started entertaining a generation on lockdown, with people gathering as little more than pixels on their own screens. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child, but now that I have become a member of Generation Covid, I have put away childish things, and now we see through the mirror, darkly. Philosophers had begun to ask in week three 
what were the effects of plague on a society and what would its aftermath be? How had this played out in the past? What would our aftermath look like? Would there be a new normal? And would it be very, very good or very, very bad? Wise words also floated to the surface and bobbed like lilies on the green pond scum. This storm will pass, but the choices we make now could change our lives for years to come. Theatre people were eloquent in their treaties on the importance of live art. This eloquence fell on deaf ears and distracted eyes. Most people were knuckling down and digging their heels in. The average hairdresser also needs a live interaction to do his or her work, but hairdressers didn't philosophise. They just wanted to wait until the restrictions could be lifted. Ironically, however, hairdressers, certainly in the west of Oslo, for which read the posh, privileged, rich part of the city, were inundated with requests from wealthy ladies to breach the isolation laws. Large sums of money were offered under the table. Very, very large sums of money were offered to stylists by rich women whose grey hairs were now showing through like a creeping shame stain that no amount of money could actually save. The hairdressers refused to be bought or to be bribed, although, of course, those who were bought or bribed probably wouldn't have stated it in a national newspaper. Again, how was your war? Were you a collaborator, a profiteer, a member of the resistance? A further irony in the hairdresser bribery scandals of 2020 was that no one was ringing up groups of actors and asking them to come and illegally perform plays in private living rooms because the thought of going six weeks without live theatre was just too painful for the rich to bear. That was not the world we were living in, in week three of the corona pandemic of 2020. At the end of week three, the first innocuous but vicious flickers of victim shaming appeared when some, at first glance, credible voices within the immunology communities began to say, muse, that the Italians and the Spanish have antibiotic resistance because they eat so much crap processed meat. And that's why they got so much more corona than we have. In Taiwan, the little and noble island nation next door to China, it was reported that very, very few people were infected or had died, and this in a nation of 24 million people. No one quite knew what to do with this aberration. Really, it was like a very thin person attending an obesity group saying, I can eat anything I like, and I just never put on weight. Of course, no one asked the Taiwanese what they'd done to contain the virus or why. They seemed blessed with what seemed to be a divine immunity. Other countries had their own problems to deal with. In the UK in week three, the government claimed it was 
working round the clock to support, advise and help British travellers to get home. Those who were home and in lockdown had forgotten that there were still thousands and thousands of people out there trying to get home. With flights cancelled and borders closed and an every-man-for-himself vibe, people felt very stranded and frightened. The government assured stranded Brits that it was working with partner airlines and had set aside £75 million to help provide charter flights to get them home. Not only that, but the Foreign Office had now tripled the capacity of its call centres so that they could answer more queries from those stuck abroad. This wasn't war, however. People weren't in that kind of danger so they would have to be patient. A few stranded people sat in airports or in isolated holiday destination hotels and thought about the concept of home and not being able to get home or of being forgotten and left to rot. And they thought, wow, that's what refugees and asylum seekers must feel like all the time. Meanwhile, back in Norway, Prime Minister Anna Solberg trundled into a press briefing and, slightly breathless because of the extra weight that she carries, pronounced the good news and the happy story to tell, which was, look what Norwegians are able to do in their country when we want to. We have lots and lots of respirators, she gasped breathlessly because of the extra weight that she carries. Norway is a wealthy and well-fed country. The oil industries had financed the making of respirators since the 12th of March, and the country, in fact, had now so many respirators that it wouldn't need all of them. Norway would contribute to the international respirator exchange when necessary. The Domestic Abuse Commissioner for England and Wales said that police were ready to deal with a spike in domestic abuse calls. We're trying to make sure that people realise that the police are anticipating that domestic abuse will increase and that they're planning for that, she told the press. It was three weeks into lockdown and the heady fever blush of the first ten days had given way to the usual petty bickerings in the comment fields. Everyone had an opinion. Everyone was a keyboard warrior. Although a lot of folk wanted to kill off the old dualisms, like light and dark and good and bad, and dirty and clean and right and wrong, and wanted to start to sit with things as they really are. Contemplating corona gave way to contemplating uncertainty, that great distinction between childhood and adulthood, wisdom and idiocy, the ability to be okay with uncertainty and not demand answers and solutions, instant and binary. In Oslo, capital of the richest country in the world, It was noted that many families were living beneath the poverty level and that there were good reasons to be very, very worried for them. 
Meanwhile, Princess Martha Louise, the eldest child of the Norwegian monarch, flew to the United States for two days to see her shaman boyfriend before the borders of her country closed. Her shaman boyfriend called it an act of true love. Others called it an act of spoiled entitlement. In the United States, gun stores were deemed essential business. The crazy had just gone mainstream. And Pornhub. Some watchdogs began commenting that Pornhub had its own pandemic. With over 30% of all data transferred on the internet being related to porn, it didn't take a rocket scientist to try and call out the emperor's new dildo. Back in Norway, the Prime Minister's breathless and super-self-satisfied respirator press briefing had been about as welcome as a fart in a spacesuit. The respirators she had so proudly, nay lovingly, wheeled out as being part of the national character of brilliance and cooperation and creativity turned out to be basically crappy balloons attached to bits of rubber hosing, debunked years before as being utterly incompatible with the lung collapse associated with diseases such as corona that attack the respiratory system. The Norwegian respirators were rubbish and absolutely nothing to be proud of. Naomi Klein's disaster capitalism could be called to mind. Someone somewhere had made a huge amount of money selling balloons and bits of rubber hose to the Norwegian government as a miracle war package. The world was in crisis, but the celebrities were thriving. They continued to beam themselves into people's homes, reminding the peasants to stay positive and assuring us that we're all in this together. But any fantasies of class mobility went out of the window on day one of the lockdown. The currency that all celebrities deal in, that you, the little people, could one day be like us, the great and beautiful, if you just stay obedient and in a thrall to our celebrity, began to dip in value. Back in Norway, the richest country in the world, it was stated that in Oslo, in the poorer, more immigrant-centric areas, people living at poverty level would be those who would be most susceptible to infection. Corona continued to be a disease spread by the rich and suffered by the poor. Statisticians at Imperial College London stated that Norway was the country with the lowest spread of infection and infection rate. The infection numbers, however, concealed a horrible truth. Those low numbers were all concentrated in poor areas. The healthy and the wealthy out in the countryside were dancing to their folk tunes, while the poor and the disenfranchised were huddled and adrift. A classic tale, appearing in every culture, in every century, again and again. It was also noticed in week three that drug addicts had been caught up in cycles of terrible violence, as their sources dried up and they turned to any drug available. They became more aggressive, cheap speed replacing the soporifics of heroin. The cops were concerned. 
Society at large, of course, was more concerned with its ageing and its vulnerable, not with its junkies, not with its antisocial elements who couldn't get high. The corona pandemic brought all of the submerged truths up to the surface. These twists and turns of fate in society, they were nothing new, but they were just now in stark relief. Gun stores in America deemed necessary business, golf courses in the UK deemed necessary territories, the Norwegian Customs and Excise Department making a press statement that they were drowning in dildos. There was no surprise that April Fool's Day was cancelled in 2020, because every day seemed to be April Fool's Day. And yet, from the madness and satire and life-imitating bad art, came some beauty in week three of the pandemic, as humans, always like daisies pushing up through the cracks in a sun-baked city pavement, were able to make something good of something bad. Corona poetry became less banal, and at the end of week three, a particular stanza began to spread through social media that gave some comfort. It went like this. Conversations will not be cancelled. Relationships will not be cancelled. Love will not be cancelled. Songs will not be cancelled. Reading will not be cancelled. Self-care will not be cancelled and hope will not be cancelled. May we all lean into the good stuff that remains. You have been listening to the Corona Chronicles. This podcast was brought to you by Seashell Media, with original music by Ivan Strömstar. I am Kate Pendry, wishing you good health. Until next time.